Have you ever taken a walk with a friend? Perhaps you uh, had planned it and you're going to meet someplace, or maybe it was just a spur of the moment that you met them. Perhaps you're just walking around the block, or maybe you're going for a long hike in our San Monica Mountains. It's interesting why we go. Sometimes it's for companionship, just to get together with our friends. Sometimes we just want to explore the area, or maybe just look around what's happening in the neighborhood. We might discuss just minor things about what we had for breakfast or lunch. We might discuss major events or puzzlements. We maybe get some of our questions resolved. And you know, sometimes it's easier to talk about hard things if you're not actually looking at the person, but rather walking beside them, because you can order your thoughts a little better. Well, here we have a couple of friends who are on the road. So listen to God's word as it comes to us from Matthew, or excuse me, Luke 24, beginning with verse 13. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened, and as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus Himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing Him. He asked them. What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, "Are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days?" What things? He asked. Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel, and what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had, women had said, but he, but him, they did not see. He said to them, "How foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken! Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter into His glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning Himself." As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, "Stay with us, for it is nearly evening and the day is almost over." So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, "Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us?" Then they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together, and saying, "It is true, the Lord has risen, and He has appeared to Simon." Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when He broke the bread. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So they're on their way to Emmaus. I'm told that our Sunday school kids did it last week. And this is one of the two traditional kind of、um, post-Easter things.、Um, Pastor Dave talked about the "Feed My Sheep" passage, so I said, "All right, I'll do Road to Emmaus." So they're on the way to Emmaus, 
And Emmaus is a place that's oh, seven or eight miles from Jerusalem, kind of coming down the mountain. And there are some warm springs there, often used for medicinal kinds of things that they would bathe in. Now, we really don't know why they were going to Emmaus. It might be that this is where they come from, that was their native place, or it might be that they were going to visit some friends in the vicinity. It's most likely that these two had probably left the group of disciples on purpose. Um, they might have wanted to relieve the tension. Maybe there was anxiety in the room. Maybe they were just very sorrowful, and they felt perhaps by walking to get away for some quiet time, they might be able to bring their thoughts all together and bring some kind of order to what had happened. Now, as far as we know, these two were not part of the 11 disciples, but they were a group of disciples who surrounded them and Jesus. But they were like men who'd, who'd lived through an earthquake. They were stunned. They were puzzled. They, they had no idea what to do. And they thought, well, maybe some physical exertion, getting out in the country, getting away from other people, that might help calm their nerves. Now, we know that one of them was Cleopas, who, according to the tradition in the early church, was Joseph's brother. Um, that would make him Jesus' uncle by marriage. Um, and so... Cleopas had followed him along with this other disciple and they were trying to figure out what had come to pass and so that filled their minds and their conversations but they didn't believe the women's testimonies it's interesting that they would put more um, credit into men's testimony which was true in these days that it was the men who were the ones who were firm in the law that could be used as witnesses And they're discussing the events of the past few days. And this stranger approaches them. He draws near and and he's kind of walking along beside them. And they're still trying to figure out what happened. They want to know. They want to know what the truth is. They want to know how things happened. And so Jesus tries to come by their side and and they hear him um, listening as they try to grasp what are the real facts of what happened. What do they believe? Do they believe what they saw on the cross with Jesus crucified? Did they believe an empty tomb? Because the the others did go to see, along with the women, that it was empty, but none of them except the women had seen Jesus as risen. And so they're absorbed with the facts, trying to meditate on the death and burial of Jesus. You know, it's not too long after Easter, but did we meditate on his death? Perhaps you were at one of our services and those were all very moving, but still, when we took on our quiet time, did we stop to think about the sacrifice that was made? Now, we as Protestants have an empty cross, which I rejoice in because the empty cross demonstrates that it's a risen Christ that we celebrate. We do recognize his death and his sacrifice for us. But we also come to rejoice in the fact that he's no longer there, that he is in risen. He is in fact risen and risen indeed. So do we meditate on that? The disciples are. They're they're troubled. They're, They're trying to figure out what to do. And Jesus comes to help them because they needed him. Their faith at this point is pretty weak. They had expected him to redeem Israel and um, that didn't happen. So the question then becomes, where are they in their faith? Are they still sorely wounded? Are they just puzzled? And then the question for us, where are we in our faith? 
Are we questioning? Are we wondering? Are we rejoicing? Have we been wounded by the events around us, perhaps by Jesus' death, but perhaps by others, or perhaps just by life, that, quite frankly, we'd love for for life to be a bed of roses, but it's not always. It's sometimes got some thorns in it. And so we go through ups and downs, and here the disciples are pretty down because everything they had hoped for, everything they, we don't know quite how long they had gone with him, but he might, they might have gone the three and a half years. And they had such high hopes. And then to see them crushed, they were just puzzled. So Jesus comes to reward them because he wants to relieve their sorrows. He wants to help them understand what has happened. And so this unknown newcomer comes along and he kind of, quite frankly, intrudes on their discussion. I mean, if you were walking along with a friend and some stranger came up, you'd kind of go, "Um, okay, uh, that's, you know, and the stranger says, well, what are you talking about? And being nice, polite people, we would tell him. And um, But, you know, sometimes sharing the pain, it can make it more real, but it also can ease the burden because we're no longer alone carrying it. We're carrying it with others. And here not only are the two disciples sharing with each other, but they're also giving the burden to Jesus. Because like the rest of us, Cleopas fancies that what was great to him was also greatly to everybody else. And what could be the subject of their talk except the death and crucifixion of Jesus when we expected so much? Apparently this traveler is ignorant, and so the disciples are surprised. Um... That anybody, if you'd been in Jerusalem, how could you possibly miss this? It was on everybody's lips. There was so much noise. All the leaders, all the common people, they were all talking about it. And you, a stranger, have missed this? You know, they were very surprised by the comments that Jesus made about what happened. Have you ever been surprised? I mean, I don't know if you're old enough to remember 9-11 or perhaps just the COVID shutdown, but everybody was talking about it. Everybody wondered, what's happening? What's going on? We don't really understand what's, what's, what's you know, transpiring in our society. We don't understand that, okay, let's see, I can't go to the grocery store, I can't go to the gym, I can't, I'm not even sure I should go out for a walk. Um, you know, we had all sorts of questions, and we were puzzled. But you know what? We weren't alone. Most people in our society were doing the same kind of thing, going, what do we do now? And we're at home and trying to figure out what's going on. And that's what the disciples are doing here. They're trying to figure out what's going on. And so the stranger comes up and he says, why are you so sad? You know? And they tell him, Jesus of Nazareth was a prophet and powerful indeed before God and all the people. Well, Jesus was that powerful. What happened? What happened? Why didn't he save himself? Because the rulers and the priests turned him over to death and he was crucified. And they expected him to redeem Israel because they expected a physical kingdom. Now, Israel, of course, had been oppressed by any number of countries, and at this point they were oppressed by the Romans, 
and paying taxes and having to do what Roman soldiers and others in the government said they had to do, and there wasn't a lot left after all of that had been done. And they were hoping that here was the Redeemer. Here was the Messiah. Here was the one who had worked miracles, who had brought people back from the dead, who had cured the lame, who had made the deaf to speak. And now he was dead. And they wondered. So might we also wonder when we're down, when things happen that we can't quite understand, when we've been wounded, when we've been sorrowful, when we've lost someone that we had put such great hopes in and perhaps had looked forward to spending a lot of time with, and now they're gone. And it's through no fault of our own. But rather, it happened. So what do we do? And Jesus comes to reward them. So he is trying to figure out how to help them. And what he does is he turns to the Old Testament. I don't know how many of you have turned to the Old Testament lately. It's not a book we Protestants usually look at. We usually look at the New Testament. But Dave read us a passage from Isaiah this morning. A passage that predicts the suffering of the Christ, of the Messiah. That he would be wounded. And that we, like sheep, would go astray that we would not know necessarily what was happening, but that God had it all planned. Now, Isaiah fortunately doesn't end in chapter 53 that was read. Rather, it goes on to celebrate the fact that, in fact, Israel will be redeemed. And along with Israel, all of the world will be redeemed. And so the disciples listen to what Jesus has to say, for they had given everything up for loss. But you know, Beginning of Moses and all the prophets, Jesus began to explain what was in Scripture. Wouldn't you have loved to have been part of that conversation? Wouldn't you have loved to spend the day walking along, listening to Jesus expound on how the Christ was to fill, fulfill all of these different things that had been predicted, not just Isaiah, but throughout the Old Testament, we learn that it is not hopeless. It is not, we're not forgotten, we're not lost, but rather there is a time that we need to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. But we do not need to fear the evil, for God is with us and he will redeem us. He will redeem us, he will redeem those we love, and he will redeem the entire world. We don't know when that's going to happen. That's part of the mystery. That's part of the challenge of faith, is knowing I can't really tell. Is Jesus going to come back this afternoon? Am I going to pass on this afternoon? I don't really know. Probably neither. But we never know. We never know. And so here Jesus is trying to explain to the disciples that he as the Christ had to die, but then he was resurrected, just as we can be, through faith in him. And they didn't see him. They didn't see him at all, but they listened to him. And they were such of such persuasion that they said to him, well, you know, when, 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 when they finally got there, it was evening. Now, I was trying to figure this out. They're going seven or eight miles. Most of us walk eh, two and a half, three miles an hour. 
So let's see, that would take three hours. They left in the morning. Most likely, they, if they'd been going steady, they would have gotten there sometime around 1 o'clock, 1.30, somewhere in there. It's evening, which means they probably stopped. They might have asked Jesus questions. They might have said, what about this passage? What about that passage? Well, help us understand more about what you're saying. And so they probably had parried along the way, shall we say. So it gets to be evening. And they say to him, come in with us, stay with us. It's nearly evening and the day is gone. It's almost over. So he went in. And they're trying to figure out what's going on. They're trying to continue it just a little bit longer. And they're also trying to be hospitable. You know, it was the Jewish custom that even with strangers, you would invite them in for the meal because table fellowship was especially important. We learn that through communion, that table fellowship is one thing that Jesus Christ demonstrated, his sacrifice and his resurrection for us, that it is through communion that we are able to draw nearer to him. John Calvin said that we practice what's called spiritual communion. It's not something where the bread is miraculously changed into the body. It's not that Jesus is somehow united with it. Those were Lutheran and Catholic Catholic beliefs. But rather, we as Reformed believers, we used to practice something when I was a child. The pastor would say, we lift up our hearts And the congregation would say, we lift them up to the Lord. That is a demonstration of what John Calvin was saying. It's through the taking of the bread and the juice that we are able to lift up our hearts into Jesus' presence so that we might be enlightened, so we might be challenged, so we might be comforted, so we might be directed. Whatever it is God has for us, I encourage you when you take the elements this morning that you lift your hearts up to the Lord just as those of us who were children used to do. So they constrain Jesus to come in. Now that's a pretty strong word. In the Greek it means that, you know, very, very, come on, you got to join us, no no excuses, you're going to come in. Um, And so they were very emphatic. Do we have a similar desire? Do we invite Jesus into our homes, into our lives? Some of us say grace at meals as a reminder to us, again, not only of Jesus' sacrifice, but of his communion, of his fellowship, of traveling with us. Just as he traveled with the disciples as a friend, he also comes to us and travels with us as a a friend so that we can, again, commune with him and understand better. Now, it was common when they got into the table that it would be the the patriarch of the family who would then um, sit at the head of the table and and break the bread and then distribute it to the guests. Um, This was a very common Jewish practice. Um, And actually, if you've ever been to a Seder, this is still what they do. Every every Friday night on the Sabbath, they break bread and distribute it to the guests, whomever they might be, whether they are family or whether they are just strangers at their table. So they go in, and it's interesting that Jesus assumes the patriarch position because he takes the bread, and he gives thanks, and he breaks it. And it is at that moment that two things happen. 
Number one, he disappears. Because remember, this is the risen Christ. And he is not constrained by our human limitations. But secondly, the disciples suddenly recognize him. They know who it is that they have spent their day with. Wouldn't that be great? We spend the day talking and and puzzling and, and trying to figure out what do the scriptures mean. And then, towards the evening, we suddenly discover it's not just our friends who have been there, but also our friend Jesus, who has been there with us. And so, it's a very humble table that Jesus invites us to sit at. And yet, it's a table where there is a sacred revelation. He turns what are common things, bread is common to all people throughout the uh, world. Everyone has a type of bread, and it depends on where you are as to what kind of bread you have. We have risen bread, but others might use unleavened bread or even rice. But it's a type of bread, and he hallows it from the common into the holy because he presides over it. So he teaches us to crave a blessing, not only on the meal this morning, but every time we partake of whatever food we might. He, he asks us to ask a blessing that he might come and be a part of it. Because Jesus is the ultimate friend. And it doesn't matter whether it's on the road or in our joys and, or in our sorrows. Jesus is there as a friend to each of us as we travel this world. Will you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you that you are there to comfort us, to encourage us, to enlighten us, to be with us. We thank you that you travel with us no matter where we go and that we can always be assured of your presence. And we ask you now that you would seal to our hearts the lessons that we have learned this morning and then having learned them, that we might put them into practice. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.